This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 Nation or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV. Make clips and share. For more information, check them out at ClipIt.tv or check them on Twitter at ClipIt.tv. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball and a half. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. Man, I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kiss and Solak Show. This is episode 28. It is brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work for InsideThePylon.com, BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, I will be joined by the doggone best co-host in the game, Mr. Seven Year Streak Without a Bad Day. You can follow his work on BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow him at NDTScouting.com, where he does a lot of his draft work, and at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. We are going to be joined, as promised, by Brandon Thorne from NDTScouting.com. You can follow him online at Veteran Scout, and he's also the new co-host of Tales of the Tape with Dan Hatman of Scouting Academy. Really great stuff on that pod. Before we get to that real quick, there has been an update on the schedule release. I am recording this portion of the show on Thursday night, so I've only got some of the games. And this is from BleedingGreenNation.com. They've got a post on there where they're going to continue to update that article with the new games as they come out. But right now, what we have as the season opener at home, a playoff rematch against the Atlanta Falcons as the NFL kickoff game. So that's going to be a doozy. Then week two. At the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 1 p.m. game. I will be there for that game. That's going to be a fun one. Week 5, they've got the Minnesota Vikings at home in another playoff rematch. That'll be amazing. And then week 6 at the New York Giants, which is a Thursday night football game. We get to see whatever first round pick that the Giants end up with go against the vaunted Eagles defense. If the if the Giants are smart, it's going to be a rookie quarterback. If they're dumb. It's going to be Saquon Barkley. And another option for them is just moving back in the draft and taking the war chest and building that roster that has so many holes in it. If you take a running back at two, you don't have an offense. I digress. That's just ridiculous. Okay. 
We'll have more updates about that. We'll be talking about those games as we move through this process. It's a long off season. We have, we have a lot of time to talk about these games, dissect them, fine tooth go and make predictions, all that good stuff. But right now, I want to kick it over to the talk with Brandon Thorne because I had a great time with him. Him, Ben, and I talked about offensive tackle. We also talked about a center that we really like and kind of projected these guys to the next level. Some guys may have to make a move to guard. We're not really sure with that. And we'll we'll see what Brandon thinks about it. Maybe Brandon and uh, Ben and I will get into some arguments about how we feel about these prospects. So it's going to be a fun time. So let's kick it over to that right now. Special guest joining us today. He is Brandon Thorne of NDTScouting.com. Tales of the Tape, the podcast with Dan Hatman through the Scouting Academy. It's an excellent listen. Brandon, I kind of went through the spill list on the lead into this. They can also follow you at Veteran Scout. But first off, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, guys. Uh, happy to be here to talk some draft. How's the little one, Brandon? Uh, oh, yeah. He's, he's doing great. He's uh, sleeping well, which is awesome. And um, just getting big. Time's flying. It's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm on the pod with two recent fathers, and I myself look like I could be 10. So really, it's a good vibe we've got going on. You are my son. I've, I've <laughs> no, often said that. <laughs> not this. Never that. <laughs> All right. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the offensive tackle class. But first, there is a guy that I saw you guys talking about on Twitter, a guy that we all like, and that is Frank Ragnow from Arkansas. Dude, some of the clips that he saw and Brandon alluded to this and I've heard Howard Mudd talk on this point, his ability and some of the clips that you shared, Brandon, where it looks like a loss where he's off balance, he's out of position and he just somehow makes something happen out of it. And when he is under control and gets locked in and gets his hands inside, like that play is over for that defender. That should not count as a snap on their snap counts. But uh, Ben, right. you you want to ask uh, you want to ask our boy Brandon about our boy Frank Ragnow? Right. So I, I was chatting a little bit about Frank with Brandon earlier, uh, simply because one of the first games I covered this season for NDT scouting was Arkansas TCU. Fire. So when you go through, yeah, you go through the uh, the depth chart beforehand. You say, all right, Frank Ragnow is a good player. It's gonna be fun to watch. Austin Allen's a quarterback for Arkansas, but they got a corner, Andre Tolliver, good deal. TCU, oh man, now they recruit well. Travis Howard, you know, we've got. It's good running backs, you know, uh, this um, Sewell Lunalua, I don't know how to say his name or whatever, <laughs> Kyle Hicks, good player, Joe Noteboom, oh, they've got some good guys, you know. And then Frank Ragnow just stole the gosh darn show. I was unbelievable. Was, and I don't know, I don't know. So I would call Ragnow's best straight hand placement and, and alignment in that regard. But I want to I want to ask you, Brandon, how much does it matter to you uh, when you see interior offensive linemen, you're watching them, the ability to generate power and velocity through angles because i think that the one thing that pops out to me uh on ragnow tape that maybe is lacking from billy price's tape who's my who's my center one i really like price's tape but the one thing that i think ragnow really has him on is this ability to just generate power from the most ridiculous body angles the most ridiculous bases he's got such a really just dynamic frame and he's super strong everywhere and so he'll look like he's not in the right spot and yet still generate a ton of movement so how much does that factor into your interior line evaluations? And then is that something that you, when you're watching Ragnar, kind of also pops off the film for you? Yeah, definitely. So the second part first, I, I, I think that that is probably the biggest thing that pops off, off the film to me. I mean, like you mentioned, hand usage and placement, 
just in general, I think is outstanding with him. And I talk about like hip and elbow alignment. And really, it just means just keeping your hands in tight because that's how you generate the most power. Just kind of from like a human anatomy perspective, you know, you engage the lats at that point and use more of your back into kind of the strike when your elbows are tight in like that. And then aligning the hips and elbows, I just think that allows for just maximum power in, in any player. Um, and Ragno, you know, he, he does that pretty much, you know, consistently. So I think that's a huge part of why he can generate so much power. Um, his hands are always in great position. Um, he plays with a really just a, a consistently strong base from what I've seen. Um, like you mentioned, that TCU tape is incredible because, I mean, Arkansas, you know, what I like about them as well is, you know, they run a lot of different things up front. You know, they, they pull Ragno a lot and get him out mm, in space yeah. to the second level, which is always good to see from your linemen. But they run outside zone. They run a duo power, you know, so they, they run all the kind of the main concepts that you see at the NFL level, which, uh, you know, is great to see in a prospect. So I've seen Ragno, I think, do everything um, at a pretty high level. And, uh, you know, he, he I don't like throwing out big name comparisons often. But I mean, when I first turned on the tape and watched him, I, I instantly thought of Travis Frederick. Ooh, yeah. And just his movement patterns. I really think his contact balance is extraordinary. You know that I posted some clips that one against Rashawn Evans. You know, when he falls on his knees, but still <laughs> drives through his angle and so you know, almost takes him to the sideline. That plays crazy. And uh, the one where he catches that linebacker and just stuns him like midair. Um, yeah. You know, so contact balance with him is outstanding just as far as aligning targets in space and really, really lining them up with balance. And then square power is another thing that I like to look at for interior alignment. And that's just really. You know, when you do align and fit on a, a player, um, you bring jolt and you can jar him back. And so he yeah. does that. And then once he gets his hands inside, you know, it's pretty much over. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm coming out with the top 10 ranking for offensive linemen here soon. But Ragno is going to be very high on that list. Mm. He's 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 very impressive. Say man. number one, Brandon. Say it. <laughs> do it. Not number one, but he's going to be high. <laughs> yeah, those clips were uh, really, really incredible to see. Uh, I, I got to go back and watch that TCU game because that that was an incredible performance. And, and I've seen the game against Alabama, so I saw those reps, and, and that game was a big part of why I put him inside my top 50. I love him in a, in a gap power scheme, being able to do the things that he can do. But moving on to the offensive tackle class as it pertains uh, to the Eagles, some targets, and then maybe some overall talk with the class. For the Eagles, it's a long-term a potentially short-term and a depth need for this team. And to briefly sum that up for any new listeners, uh, J Jason Peters is one of the best in the game doing it. Uh, he's 36 coming off an Achilles tear. Lane Johnson is one of the best doing it, but he is one wrong amino away from a two-year suspension. Halapuli Vativaitai is a spot starter at best, in our opinion, on the Kiston Solak show. Behind that, there is not a whole lot. Uh, there's also depth concerns at guard and a possible upgrade for Wisniewski in the future. Uh, but that's an ancillary thing, and we can kind of touch on that throughout if it's applicable. The first name that I wanted to ask you about, Brandon, and this is a guy that Benjamin mocked to the Eagles in episode 24 with this 32nd overall pick, and that is Tyrell Crosby from Oregon. Uh, Brandon, how do you see Crosby projecting to the league? Do you think he can stick a tackle at the next level? Yeah, so Crosby is a guy I like a lot as well. Um, I think he's a little bit more scheme dependent than most. I, I really like him in a predominantly gap man blocking yeah. scheme. 
similar to what he ran at Oregon. I do think he could stay at tackle, though, all, even, you know, despite the fact that he really didn't take uh, like an NFL caliber pass set from what I've seen on tape. He really just side shuffles or he'll side shuffle and then backpedal. And neither of those things are really, you know, going to work, I don't think, um, at tackle, especially on an island. If you're asking him to, you know, gain depth out of his stance and hit a set point at a 45 or a vertical angle. That's going to be, I think, the biggest adjustment for him. However, I do think he has underrated athleticism, um, especially for a guy his size. I think he has pretty light feet for a guy his size. So I think that he has the physical tools to be able to adapt and get better in pass protection. Of course, he has outstanding length, um, size, and power. So he's kind of more of a traditional throwback type of blocker, um, you know, kind of the guy that you would think um, in the kind of the old school mentality of a right tackle. And I, I do kind of like him at right tackle more just because from the NFL tape that I watch, I still see right tackles getting a little bit more help than left tackles um, schematically, you know, with tight ends and backs and things like that, slide protections. Yeah. Not always the case, but, you know, a lot of teams still do that. So I think ideally you'd, you'd start him out over there, protect him, you know, kind of like Jack Conklin, you know, had as a rookie um, and others as well. So, but in the run game, man, I mean, I love him. I think he's going to be, good day one with a very good ceiling um, as a run blocker. And uh, I mean, I just think, you know, what he does there is is, is pretty special and, and worthy of the end of the first is a little rich for me, but just because of the pass protection stuff, I just don't know. But um, I still do think I like him more than most. And I think that he could stay at tackle. Mm. Yeah, certainly. I, uh, I like what you're saying with, with, you know, right tackle because of the help, because I think the best way to, conceptualized as a coaching staff is to say okay here are two tackles and this is the one that we help if we're helping one and whatever side they're on is the side that they're on you know what i mean because the eagle fans love to bring up lane johnson's struggles when he's put at left tackle he typically plays on the right he doesn't practice on the left side jay spears plays on the left side he usually goes there in the middle of the game when things kind of get screwy and so i think that you know tyrell who uh he took a lot more traditional pass sets at the Senior Bowl, and I was watching him close to the Senior Bowl because I knew he might be a guy we talked about at 32. And watching him take his pass sets on the left and on the right, I, I, I saw more body control on the left side. Right, He has a, a bit of a tendency to tilt in his kick slide against speed, especially when he was going up against Alcaronco at the edge of Oklahoma. You saw that he would kind of lean into it a little too much. But I thought that he had better body control on the left. So I like the idea of him being a left side guy as long as Philadelphia is aware of the fact that they would need to help him before they would help Lane Johnson, which I imagine they would be, you know, because right. they, it's Lane Johnson. He's not a guy who needs too much help. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about uh, a name that, uh, you know, two months ago we never really thought was going to maybe be around 32, but now it seems like he could be. That's Connor Williams out of Texas, because from what I understand, you and I don't see Connor Williams very similarly. I'm very big on Connor Williams. I think he's, he's definitely tackle one in this class. Uh, and, and I love what I what I saw from his his 2016 tape, and obviously 2017 got a little bit janky. And I I tried to I'm not gonna lie, I tried to capture you a little bit talking about Frank Ragnar recovery athleticism because that to me is what really makes Williams an enticing pro, uh, prospect is that ability when he's not at the ideal angle to work his feet back into position or work his hands back into position. He's got really nice flexibility in my evaluation through his midriff through his hips, which helps him a lot. You know handle situations where uh, a rush tries to put a counter move on him or he's got to deal with a twist or he was laid off the ball, whatever. I, I, you know, I hear pass set concerns with him, but right now I can't name an offensive tackle coming out that I don't have pass set concerns with. 
it just seems like that's something that's that's you know it's just getting worse and worse as, as kind of the the years go on coming out of college i think he has the foot speed to have fine pass sets and then punch timing is another one that i understand but again i think that he's a guy who's able to rework his hands very nicely so williams to 32 to me is a no-brainer pick if he drops that far i don't really care who else is on the board from what i understand though you and you and connor williams aren't as much of buddies as i am with him. <laughs> uh, no not not really i mean I've seen five tapes of his, you know, four from 2017 and one from 2016. So, you know, you've probably seen more 2016 tape for me just for you yeah. know, context. So I just I think that false step is a problem. And I mean, he is working with Duke Mannyweather, which is great. Um, and I've heard that he is more comfortable, actually, on the right side. That's just exactly. what, you know, I've heard, you know, for his specific body type and just how he kind of operates. But which is interesting. Um, I like him more inside, though. I think that he has a higher ceiling and guard. You know, the length doesn't worry me a whole lot, although that does, you know, fit traditionally more inside. Um, and just his size in general, I think, might be a better fit inside, especially to a team like Philly who, you know, pulls linemen, runs, you know, a good amount of zone. Um, I really like his athletic ability, but I also think he's really powerful too. So yeah. I, I think that he could really be dynamic on the inside. Um, sort of in like a, you know, David DeCastro type of mold, somebody that you're going to pull a lot and uh, get out in space and let him get up, get up to the second level and get on smaller defenders where I think he could be overwhelming, you know, so and I really like his finishing ability as well. So I think athleticism, power and finishing ability are my favorite traits with Williams. But, you know, that, like the 2017 Maryland tape was was rough. Um, I know, you know, 2017 is kind of hard to to really nail down because you don't know how much that injury was affecting him, you know, prior to or after coming back from it. Um, I've heard different differing uh, viewpoints on that. Same, how much yeah, that was so, you know, I, I don't know totally what to think of that, but what he did show on tape, I wasn't, I wasn't super impressed with, you know, with that the, from the technical aspects of playing tackle, especially in pass protection. But as a run blocker, I, I really like him. You know, I think he has a lot of potential there. But I, I just think ideally, you know, he's a guy that you probably put inside. Um, and from what I've heard, maybe like a right guard to start. So, But I could see, you know, the points that you're making just in terms of what you like about him. And I think we like similar things, but I just, I kind of, uh, that, that pass set and the false step, it, it's kind of like Colton Miller-ish, you know, and I, it, it just kind of scares me. I but, think one of the things, and I, like, I know, I know you have a question to ask, but to put a point on that, one of the things that I think I've ended up doing, and I'm trying to catch myself with it, evaling through the le the lens of the Eagles, I keep thinking of, okay, well, there's no way an offensive tackle that they draft is going to have to start in 2018 because they have Peters. So it's really a 2019 start. So I think I'm being a little, sometimes when I'm evaling these offensive tackles, just going through my list for NDT, I find myself being too kind and too forgiving to guys who maybe have a nice ceiling in year two and year three with a bit of technical work and a little bit too harsh on guys who I think have, you know, like physical flaws. Mm. And so like, you know, when I, when talking about the false step, because Colton Miller is another guy who I, you know, I have much bigger problems with his initial court work and his passive than I do with Williams, but I've been forgiving to him in my eval because, you know, I, the Eagles would definitely be attracted to that athleticism and then they'd be able to work with him. So it's definitely like, you know, it's something to be aware of. I think that if you need an instant starter, maybe Williams isn't as much uh, high on your board, but for Philadelphia, he's probably a bit more attractive of a candidate. That makes a lot of sense. So going along with that, because you mentioned Colton Miller, uh, there are two, ta two tackles 
the top tackles coming off the board, according to Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Those are Mike McGlinchey of Notre Dame and the aforementioned Colton Miller of UCLA. Uh, they both have some things that, that concern me about their game. I know, Ben, you're, you're low on McGlinchey. I am, and we're both super low on Colton Miller. They are likely gone before the Eagles pick. But just in case, Brandon, are either of these two guys deserving of first-round hype? And if not, where do you view them as far as where you would be comfortable taking them in the draft? Yeah, so McGlinchey, you know, in a vacuum, I think is worthy of kind of a late first, early second type of pick, in my opinion. I think he's a a high floor, relatively low ceiling player. You know, when I watch him, I I see a guy who's technically refined, especially as a run blocker. He could step in day one and be a, a good run blocker, if not very good. I think he has impressive mobility for a guy with his frame and his size. I mean, just the pad level and leverage that he plays with in general in the run game, I think is impressive. He pulls to both sides and leads in the run game. Mm. Um, I think he's underrated athletically in space. Um, some of the things that I saw there. So I think he's pretty, I guess, well-rounded as a run blocker. Although, you know, I know Notre Dame did a lot more gap and power, but they did a lot of pin pull and a lot of zone concepts as well. So I, I think he's pretty well-versed in that respect. And um, as a pass protector, I mean, I watch nine games on him, and I don't really have that much of a problem with him as a pass protector. I know he doesn't really get a lot of depth all the time, and that can kind of cause him to prematurely open up his hips towards a rusher in an attempt to run him up the arc, and that could leave him sometimes susceptible to really good speed-to-power conversion rushers and guys with inside counters. But aside from that, I think he's excellent with his hand usage and pass protection. Placement is good. I think he definitely has the physical ability to be a, a solid to good pass protector. I don't, and that's why I kind of see him probably that early second range, ideally, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's going to be a, you know, necessarily ever a very good or elite all around player, but I see a good starter in his future. So McGlinchey's definitely my favorite tackle in the class, assuming as Isaiah Wynn is a guard. And then Colton Miller, I mean, he's kind of like a round four guy, maybe, mm. you know, somebody, uh, a developmental guy with some good traits, size, obviously, length, athletic ability, competitive toughness, play strength is pretty good. So those are kind of the traits I like with him. But I mean, technically, I think he's a mess and he's going to need a lot of work. You know, he scares me. He kind of scares me like on the same level like Jason Spriggs did. Um, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody with a bad fall step coming out and it's just been pretty ugly every time he stepped on the field. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of him in, in some ways. But then at the same time, I see some Nate Solder in him just in terms of who he is physically and what he can do, you know, in terms of like moving and, um, you know, in space because they pulled him. You know, he's pretty good cutting off the backside on zone, getting to the second level. Um, but from what I've understand as well, that Nate Soldier didn't have a false step coming out of Colorado. And I think that that's where the disconnect comes from me. I, so I, I see Soldier in some ways, but I think he's just far away from reaching that 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 level. And Soldier's not even that great. So I don't know. I think round four is like kind of the earliest that I would look at somebody like that. Quick, quick question for you. Quick follow up. Where the hell does that false step come from? What what does that stem from? Do we know, or is it just like The Walking Dead, and all of a sudden everyone got sick with it? Like, what's going on with that? Yeah, honestly, I see it quite a bit, you know, and I, I don't know the root cause or why it's there. Um, I think that 
partly of what I can speak to, I guess, is why it hasn't been corrected is because a lot of the times I think these guys are able to get away with it at the college level, even though Colton Miller, I mean, he didn't really get away with it. Yeah. I mean, Hawaii and Memphis, you know, tore him up. If you get tore up on tape versus those two teams, I mean, it's kind of tough to, you know, see, see you as anything but a day three type of guy. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't know what the cause is, but I know a lot of it has to do with the stance and then right. really being able to establish that drive catch relationship and that drive catch phase or a kick slide. A lot of people call it, you know, that it's kind of more basic term. I don't think that that's really a necessary thing. And a lot of these college schemes, a lot of coaches rightfully so aren't trying to prepare their players necessarily for the NFL. They're just trying to, you know, do enough to win ball games and, if he's doing enough to do that, then, yeah. you know, I, I think it gets overlooked. So I, I think that's kind of partly why we see it so much, because guys can sometimes get away with it and be OK. But in the NFL, I just don't see any good or better pass protectors at offensive tackle with the false step. It's one of those things when I see it, I, I it's a red flag. I mean, Jack Conklin still kind of has that false step, but it's been corrected a little bit the last couple of years. But he gets a lot of help. So if you do have somebody like that who offers other things like Conklin did, who's a very good run blocker, then I think if you give him help, you can survive. Colton Miller's is, is, is pretty bad. It's one of the worst ones I've seen, kind of like Jason Spriggs. It's tough for me to, to really see him. And I, I don't think he has like a tremendously high ceiling as a run blocker either. I see more of like a good run blocker. So, yeah, I, don't, I mean, he's I'm, I'm lukewarm on him at best. No, for sure. When I look at Miller and I try to identify the root cause of the false step, and I think that oftentimes, you know, poor initial footwork is something that it's got very often a a different source for different players. Miller specifically, I pulled up my notes to see if I can find them. I did have a note saying that oftentimes I feel like his weight is too far on the heel of his front foot uh, when he's in his initial stance. And what you'd like to see is for him to be able to fire off that front foot without moving it, which would require more weight forward the knee a little bit more forward to create that z of the knee and then in that stance you're able to shoot initially off that post foot that front foot without having that that catch in it right and so that's that's what i saw from miller which is weight distribution issues which when you're as long-legged as he is and this is one of my biggest problems with him you're gonna have that problem and i think it's gonna persist in everything you do like when he builds a base he gets bow-legged but he's just the guy who because of the length of his legs it's tough for him to have really compact angles and to keep power and keep stability because you're asking his levers his muscles to just do work over such a longer distance it it requires more effort so it's always a case-by-case thing and it's it's pretty crazy to think about i want to i want to push us a little bit deeper into the draft and i want to push us on to day two so that i'll feel with no picks currently there but as i alluded to this is a team that Maybe can draft a guy who doesn't need to start year one, but it could potentially be a starter by year two or year three. And often round two, round three is a nice place to find some of those guys. And so uh, here's what I'm going to do, Brandon. I'm going to throw three names at you that interest me, and then I want you to sell me on one of them. You only get to pick one, all right? All right, Will, good. Will Richardson out of NC State, Jamarco Jones out of Ohio State, and then Alex Kappa out of Humboldt State. Pick one. Tell me why Philadelphia should be looking to grab him where on day two they might do it, and what about his profile makes him an, an attractive candidate to build up into a franchise left tackle? Man, all right, well, Kappa I haven't seen enough tape of to really have a strong opinion there. I really like Will Richardson, but I think 
that Jamarco Jones is a little bit more ready right now. Uh, that's tough. I mean, I'm probably going to go with Jamarco Jones. And the reason for that is because I think, you know, if you have somebody in college who is, I, in my opinion, I think he's very clean technically um, in terms of his stance, coming out of his stance explosively, gaining ground as a pass protector to hit set points and striking with pretty good strike timing with his hands. You know, as a pass protecting player, you know, I think that's his strength. And at, at left tackle, I think that's really what you're looking for, number one. I think he's probably the best guy there um, in, in that regard. And I think he's a good run blocker as well. But taking vertical sets to the degree that he did, to, I mean, uh, the amount of vertical sets that he took at Ohio State, I mean, that's really rare for me to see in a college guy. And for him to do it as well as he did, I think that that, because I think that's probably the hardest, you know, there's a 45 yeah, degree yeah. set, a jump set and a vertical set. And I mean, if you're vertical setting that cleanly, I think that that you're, you're that much ahead of the game, you know, in, in terms of these college guys coming out. I really like Will Richardson's pass set as well, but I think he has even more problems from what I've seen on really protecting that inside shoulder and transitioning to his anchor. I've seen him get lifted off his feet several times on tape from guys who aren't like, you know, great pass rushers who really just counter inside and get underneath him and in that in that like the inside armpit and that shoulder. And they can really like lift him around and kind of move him around pretty easily. Um, and then in the run game, just very different, in my opinion. I think Will Richardson, you know, NC State, heavy outside zone scheme, um, you know, very good outside zone scheme run blocker. But I don't know if he's a guy that you want to run much gap and power if at all with I, I yeah. didn't see a whole lot of that with him and Jamarco I feel like I, I feel like he could do a little bit of both the thing that worries me with Jamarco too I mean 6'4 299 so the size very long arms very long wings wingspan which helps but his play strength I think is probably his biggest issue in my opinion and his um, testing was not great yeah his testing was bad but I, I see a pretty good athlete on the field it's surprising um, yeah, it is. It's, you know, whenever I see a good athlete on the field and he tests bad, I mean, it definitely gives me pause and send me back to the tape. But I'm, I'm watching him today a lot. Actually, I've gone through a, a couple games and I'd see, a, I'd probably say a good functional athletic player on the field. So, you know, I'm not too worried about, um, you know, the testing. But I, another thing with him, I think his aiming points in the run game. Um, get messed up a little bit. I mean, I see him, like you mentioned earlier, with weight distribution as a pass protector. I see that in the run game as well. And I think that has to do with his aiming points and not really just, it seems like he either is like oversetting or undersetting guys when he attempts to line them up. And I see yeah. him on the ground quite a bit. So I think those things, though, are fixable with, you know, decent or better coaching. I, You know, the pass set, that really intrigues me about him. The way he moves, I think he's very explosive out of his stance. I think his hand usage is pretty good as well as a pass protector. Another thing that I mentioned that I see a lot with him on tape is he really likes to strike with that inside hand. And if you're coming back in your pass set, you know, at that vertical angle or that 45 degree angle and you're striking with that inside hand hard, I mean, if you miss, you're pretty much screwed against a good or a better rusher because they're going to take advantage and you know, your hips are going to open, your inside shoulder is going to cave in, and, you know, the inside lane to the quarterback is open. See that with him occasionally, but I also see a lot of him connecting with that inside strike. And I think that's why he does it so much, because he does have success with it. 
But I think that in the NFL, he's going to have to alter that approach quite a bit and be a little bit more um, independent with his hand usage and actually get better at that outside strike. It's a much safer thing, I think, for offensive linemen to strike with that outside hand because the, the margin for error is a little bit bigger, yeah. you know. So um, that's kind of what I've seen so far from Jones. And that would be the guy that I would go with, although Richardson is a close second, because, but I think he's a little bit further away in his development. Very good stuff. Thank you so much for stopping by, man. I love talking about the evaluation process with you, what you're seeing, so I can take an extra peek at these tackles uh, just to go back and see some of the things that you've talked about. Would you let the gentle, gentle listeners know one more time where they can find all your work and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, just uh, social media, Facebook and Twitter, actually, just at Veteran Scout. So that, that'd be the best spot. Boom. Also, check him out on NDTScouting.com or him and Ben put out awesome stuff. Dude. Thanks again, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys. It was, it was a fun time. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for saying goodbye, Brandon. You have a good one, dude. And we are back. Always good to talk with Brandon. He's got such a fantastic mind for offensive line play, all things football. I could talk with him all night long about the evaluation process. In fact, after the first time we recorded, we were talking about the process that we go through, what to look for with offensive line play, just really just picking his brain, man. He's, he's so good at it. To wrap up this show, I want to follow up with what I started the show with, the release of the schedule. Right now, what I'm looking at is, again, week one at home against the Falcons, week two at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, week five, we've got the Vikings at home, week six at the New York Giants, and a week eight at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I might be able to make it up to that one. Oh, that's right. It's a London game. So that's not even really an away game. Then you have a week 11 at New Orleans, week 12 against the Giants at home, week 13, Washington Redskins at home, and then week 17, we're closing out the season with a division rival game. I wish it was the Cowboys, unfortunately, is the Washington Redskins. So the dreaded Alex Smith comes to town to finish the season. Guys, I can I can already tell you, even without seeing all, all the games, undefeated season. I'm calling it right now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling that, but yeah. It's looking good. And a reminder about the preseason schedule, too. Steelers, Patriots, Browns, Jets. And the Browns and Jets could be working with some brand new quarterbacks, so that should be a fun watch. We are going to be back soon with some day three prospects that we've been watching film on. Keep an eye out for that in the beginning of the week. And we are headed full speed into the draft. Less than a week to go. We finally made it. And they're not quite there yet, but I think we're going to make it. I think I'm bleeding inside my chest a little bit. All right. Until next time. Remember, we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. We take them out.